Founded in 2005 by artist Noah Becker, White Hot Magazine is one of the leading platforms for contemporary art. I paint. People often say two questions to me, like, uh, when, how long does it take, how do you know if painting is finished? And um, do you paint standing up? And the first one is, I have no idea, and yes. I cannot sit down and paint. Uh, and never could, and um, I have no idea when a painting is finished, except it just has nothing left to do. It just, I, I remember finishing this painting very well, um, and it just was like, burst out laughing. This is called Bad Baby, and the ones, and it was a group of paintings I made in the early 90s. Um, there was, very little support for young artists, almost none, except for Bill Arning. If those of you who know Bill Arning, um, honestly, uh, he would, he had a, like, a there was a rotary phone and it was very hard to get through and you would call White Columns and you would get in line and he would come to your studio at like neighborhoods mm -hmm. and he, you could maybe get a white room and I would never somehow be able to get that <laughs> rotary phone working and never managed to get on his uh, white room list. But um, I was making these paintings in East Village and um, <clears throat> sort of, they meant a lot to me because they um, sort of were the first paintings that I felt extremely liberated from my education. I, I didn't feel like I was working as a student um, I got a lot of flack for these paintings. People really didn't like them, except for I felt um, me and Matvey <laughs> and a couple of my friends, and we were all kind of puzzled by them, and I really, really loved them, and they sort of nourished me, and I sort of really stood by them. I felt really good about, about them. It took, n nobody bought them. You know, it was like they were in my studio for years. And then, you know, there was, and I really didn't feel, I didn't have a problem with that. And I actually think that was a really important beginning for me, you know, to sort of feel so strongly about something. And they're, they're, the figures are life-size, but the paintings are about this big, about 34 inches. So let, let's actually pick up on that. Um, you said that you weren't a, a student at that point. So talk about being at Yale and being a female painter. And um, I think one of the things that you have talked about over time is that part of your, the integrity of your approach to your practice is, is believing in what you're doing regardless of how anyone else understands what you're doing. So tell us how that started. Um, you mean, there was, there's a couple questions there. <clears throat> well, I'm kind of a good girl, but you know, I'd like to be able to please people, but if I'm trying, you know, like I went to Yale and I didn't realize that um, when I got there, I was, I didn't realize that part of the education is almost like boot camp where like they get up in your face and say like, you suck or, you know, they kind of give you the kind of a royal treatment of like how bad, well, that was what I got. And I was very young, I was very young and I didn't realize that they actually thought I was really good, and so they were coming at me kind of extra hard, and I completely um, melted down. Because I had lived at home with my parents, because I, I went to state school, and I was a commuter at T Temple. <clears throat> so I really didn't have much life experience. And I just, you know, like all of these big, I know I thought it was a big deal, you know, going to Yale. I thought it was a big deal, and I thought that they knew something. So when they said I sucked, I was like, I guess I suck. So I just stopped putting myself into the work, and I sort of started painting. They told me to paint still lives. So then I really melted down, and I hated my work. And I was like, all right, well, maybe I'll just go home. You know, I've had enough. Thank you. You can keep the money. I'll go back to Philadelphia, and I'll, you know, I'll keep painting, but, you know, I've had enough education here. Um, but I sort of fought my way back, and I found a way to put myself back into the work, in a way that was, I made these paintings of a figure in bed, sort of like, um, I basically painted myself as a depressed person, and it was 
really an amazing thing because it was the first time I sort of really manipulated an audience, which were the faculty, because um, they looked at the work and they were quite shocked to see where I was at psychologically. And it made me really happy to sort of see that reaction because it was like quite truthful. Um, and so I sort of painted myself out of that hole and I never left, left that kind of dynamic of understanding that you, you know, you have to sort of, um, I, I understood that something really important was I couldn't not be sort of in my work and sort of be there you know, painting, um, you know, there's nothing wrong with painting a still life, but if I was going to paint a still life, that I had to make it, make it very personal. So if there's, so with the landscape paintings, I understood that they had to be very deeply personal landscape paintings. There had to be something about them that was true to me and, you know, they couldn't be generic. So the role of psychology or, or the psychological approach to the figures continues to be one of the key elements of your work. Um, that, and then on the other hand, you know, it's, a, it's quite formal. You know, I'm, you can't wallow in, you know, the psychological because you're not going to get anywhere. It, it obviously has to be a balancing act of the Apollonian and the Dionysian and, you know, a kind of, you know, a hard and a soft. You have to serve it up a lot of different ways. It can never be one thing. It has to be many things. Um, but the show, which Heidi came up with the idea of, so these were paintings that were shown eventually in um, Soho in the early 90s at Elizabeth Corey Gallery. Um, there were about five people at the opening. You could hear a pin drop. <laughs> um, and they were called Bad Babies. And the uh, group of paintings were called The Ones That Don't Want To. And these were the sketches. These are my notebook sketches. So the reason why I'm showing the, the way I drew the figures, these were all painted out, drawn from my imagination. I didn't have models for the paintings. Nothing, so everything was imagined and sketched and then painted. And the color was obviously extremely saturated and imagined. And they're kind of, um, you know, pleading for their lives. And I was thinking about these paintings as metaphors for the painting themselves. I thought of the paintings as fighting for their lives. You know, when they were hanging on the walls, if the paintings could be um, almost like, uh, uh, like I, I always loved Greek mythology growing up, and like if they had uh, personifications, they were like, if, if the images in the paintings could be personifications of what the paintings felt, they were like, pleading for their lives, like don't, they wanted to be looked at, they didn't want to be looked at, they were almost like 12-year-old 12 12 -year girls kind of like emerging, not wanting to be seen, wanting to be seen, and I thought that there was an interesting parallel there. Having been a 12-year-old girl, I knew what that was like, and I thought it was an interesting thing to be able to take advantage of. So at the same time, while I was painting those paintings, I had kind of the good fortune and not good fortune of needing to make a living. And the only job I could get was teaching watercolor to um, some blue stocking ladies at night in um, continuing education. And they really wanted me to know how to teach them watercolor. So I had to really teach myself how to teach watercolor. Um, so of course, I bought a book and read how to teach watercolor. <laughs> and um, anyway, so I painted a whole bunch of watercolors on the side, and these were the results. They were called Tit Heaven. And um, Heidi saw these on my website. I still don't think you've seen them, right? Not in person. Not in person. But she wants to start the show here with these watercolors. So it was actually kind of an interesting thing because the sketches for the paintings were very scratchy, kind of not very developed things, but the watercolors were a whole other world. I recently reread a review that was an art forum by Barry Schwabsky, and he talked about how the watercolors were almost like about touch, and the paintings were about scopophilia, about sight. And it was kind of like about vision, uh, uh, about well, seeing things, and, about, and these were about touching, about um, uh, feeling. Um, and so, uh, the other paintings I went on to make were 
more paintings, these continue to be paintings that were painted without models for several years, much larger paintings. These are, this is called Big Blonde Squatting. And um, this is about a six foot square. So the kind of working uh, with, uh, I call them, I call these paintings, generally speaking, the babies, because they were uh, paintings that were, uh, I call the ground zero is uh, my imagination. There is no source material, meaning there's no model. I didn't pull a page from a magazine. I didn't uh, take, I didn't take it from something. Um, and I just worked, you know, and then the color is very, very, very saturated. Um, I, I don't know if any of you know uh, color theory or color ideas, but just on the outside chance that you do, I don't know if you know who Cennini was, but um, I sort of read, went to Italy as a student and uh, studied a lot of, um, art history and listen to a lot of things. Uh, a lot of it, of course, goes over your head and then what sticks to you pretty much sticks to you pretty hard. And um, Cennini talked about um, color ideas and one of them was the idea of coloring up. And he talked about fresco painting and in fresco you can't really add black. It doesn't really work. So in fresco painting, you put the bright color in the shadow and you add white, so you, it's called up-coloring, up-modeling. And I always thought it'd be interesting in an oil painting to up-model. And Heidi's looking at me with such love right now. <laughs> she admiration. Wants to, it's she wants admiration. to change the show to up-modeling, I think. She's moving, she's changing the idea. Let's do up-modeling. Um, but I loved it, and I remember when this painting was shown in L.A., um, this was, and I, again, it's a six-foot square, and it, uh, no one in New York at that time, so all the, the my, of course, my gallery went out of business, because that's the way it was. And the only place that I would get a show at the time was L.A., to the point where when I would see people in New York, they'd say, oh, you're in from L.A.? I was like, I don't live in L.A., I was known as an LA artist for a while. Now I'm not, which I kind of wish I was, but, <laughs> but these kind of, the other thing is knowing I was gonna have a show in LA, I was kind of thinking, you know, blondes. And blonde coloring, it's called a, it is called in color, the blonde mode, which is weird, because then I'm gonna show in California, so it's the blonde mode. So I remember walking into, getting off the airplane, the show was already hung. It was Christopher Grimes' gallery, who unfortunately just closed his gallery. And, um, you know, I just walked into the gallery and, and saw this painting and, you know, all this, it was like the, the gallery was packed with all these LA artists. It was like really kind of incredible. I had so much support in LA from the artists. It was really kind of great. But these were also shown in LA. And um, this is, transference portrait of my shrink in her starch nightgown. Now, I can't wait to see how you do this. <laughs> Let me start again. Transference portrait of my shrink in her starch nightgown with my face and her hair. And the other one is transference portrait. And I was very interested in the idea of how all paintings are sort of basically the idea that the audience takes, everything that you see in a painting is really all about you. You can only really take from a painting that which you can bring to a painting. Whether it's intellectual, spiritual. You're giving me that look again, Heidi. Well, I'm agreeing with you. Okay. I think that's right. <laughs> so for myself, I also feel like I owe it to myself and I owe it to other artists to learn more, to, you know, be a bigger person, to have a bigger heart, to be able to look at art, you know, and not to be kind of closed down so that you can actually say, it's not enough to say, I don't like that. The minute I say, when I see something, I don't like that, I kind of should probably circle that and then circle back and say, why? Or if you sort of, you know, something about that. Because so many people would just say, I don't like that. So these paintings were intended to sort of well, 
as you can see, that is a pretty obnoxious painting. <laughs> so, you know, a, a Rorschach blot test is intended to tell us what, you know, you see an ink blot and it's supposed to be something that you, tells you so much about yourself. It's everyone sees the same ink blot and then you tell your, you know, you're supposed to tell your story. So, I you know, I rather enjoyed all of the endless, there, there is so much writing about this work and one would just assume that the writing is all about the writers. So we've talked a little bit about this before, but um, did you show this work to your therapist? Of course, of course I did. Not only that, I gave her as a gift because she saw me for like a deep, 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 deep discount for so many years because I was so broke, um, a version of this painting for free, well, not for free, as a gift. And recently it was, she lent it in a show, because I don't see her anymore. And in the back, I totally forgot about it, I wrote something to her, um, like, you know, I hope someday you'll be able to sell this and put your kids through college. <laughs> That's my hope. And her kids are out of college, but she didn't sell it. But anyway, it was a very sweet, um, she loved it. And she always, you know, she got a kick out of it. And she later told me that I kind of got it right, the whole starch nightgown thing. <laughs> um, and then I went on to feel rather critical of the fact that I was working solely out of my um, imagination and began to think, how can I change how I'm working? About this time, it's the mid-90s, and I started to think, if you were not going to, if you were going to work with some source material, what would you do? So I decided to go into the dangerous game of, I tried two different approaches, which were the two things that bubbled up. One was, I decided to work with somebody else's material, which was uh, Bob Guccione's material, because that was what was around when I was a kid and as nudes, and when I was in art school, when the teachers would set up nudes, I thought, well, that looks a little bit like Bob Guccione's material. And I kind of thought, what's the difference? Like the art school setups, because actually really Penthouse is kind of not very dirty, do you think it's important that there's a distinction? Well, I guess intent matters, but it was, I was interested in playing with it and, you know, hitting the third rail. Why? Why not? Come on, why? I don't know, because I was interested in seeing what would happen. I was an experiment. For yourself or for the audience? For myself. And so this is night and day. And um, the, oh, this is a little out of order. I should have, I'm sorry, this is, um, I put this in. So this is still invented, but this was the last paint. Oh, actually, it, things were kind of not neat because this is still invented, but this painting invented, I'm sorry, led to my other dis decision, which was to, take the images that were in the paintings, out of the paintings, and make three-dimensional maquettes. And so in 1995, I made these little maquettes. Now, Kathy, we showed these at the ICA in Philadelphia. So Kathy Sachs was the head of the board at the ICA in Philadelphia who gave us, me, us, <laughs> me, myself, and I, um, I'm saying us because those are all my personas. Um, the, my first show in a museum. So thank you, she's here. Um, so the, the um, figure with the little beaded jacket, um, I literally decided to take children's clay, it's called Sculpty, and just experiment because when I was studying art history and I went to uh, Venice, Tintoretto, did it, and I thought, well, you know, Tintoretto made figures in clay and then lit them, so I should try that. So 
I did it, and I, and I did it with three figures that never existed and two figures that had existed. So this is the shrink. And so that's the one that was in that painting. But I changed her name to Motherfucker. <laughs> and that's the shrink. And this is the food eater. And that's, I, I told her, called her the social climber because these are aspects of myself. And this is the ass picker. <laughs> the ass what? Ass picker. So the whole title is, I haven't said this in a while. Um, I haven't said it in a while. Food, head shrinking, so, no, food eating, head shrinking, social climbing, food, whatever, something, and it ends motherfucker. It's a long list of characteristics that ends motherfucker because it always has to end motherfucker, which is why she ended up being motherfucker. And um, Amy, Amy, are you here? Amy Phelan? Yeah. yeah. So that's why that drawing is called motherfucker because then I would take these sculptures or maquettes and I would put them on a shelf and light them and then do a drawing of them. And then after I would do the drawing of them, I'd say, now is that a figure drawing or still life drawing? So then when I thought about it, I was like, I figured I had now solved the problem that happened at Yale, which is now I figured out a way to do a still life drawing that doesn't depress me. So if these are all characteristics of yourself and you already referenced your therapist picking and your, yes, literally social climbing, look at I'm here. <laughs> I, cl I made that happen. <laughs> Did your perspective of yourself change over time? I hope so. I mean, you know, I'm always working on that, right? I mean, you know, making fun is always a, you know, a thing. You know, I, I could have called, you know, you know, self-mocking. You know, I, mean, we, I could have kept playing with these things. But this was a really, really, uh, I could, when I did this, I thought I was a fucking genius because there was so much work that came out of here. And I, so this is a massive watercolor. So this is a still life. <clears throat> I mean, I, there is more work from this period. This is called the Bad Habits series. There is more work from this body of work. I literally had to just, like, it was like a runaway train. I had to put the brakes on and say, enough, stop, move on. I mean, with, with the penthouses, I was like, okay, you're, uh, I did like five or six or seven paintings, and I was like, okay, you, you towed in on somebody else's imagery, cut it off. With this, I was like, completely self-created. I was playing with this. But what I, what I, the reason why I'm sort of playing with this is because this is a landscape of sorts. You know, it's got, you know, this atmospheric perspective. Um, and what I like now is to talk about, unfortunately, we're not getting this painting for the show. Um, right? We're not. Um, this is a landscape. It's one of the first landscape paintings that is really truly a landscape painting. And it is from the Bad Habits. So how the Bad Habits paintings crosses over into where the landscape paintings start. So this is, I got a little bit anxious about the Bad Habits suddenly being me looking at something and relying on looking at something because I was like, I'm an artist that doesn't need to look at something. I'm an artist that invents. So I decided to invent things based on the bad habits. So this is the food eater imagined. But my studio was in Tribeca at the time. On the sixth floor, I think Meryl Streep lives there now or somebody. It was an amazing view of the river. That was my view. And this is called, like, you know, the, I titled it for the show. I had it, David Zorner, like, View of Hudson River Sunset. Um, I was making these paintings, so I would go out and paint to study. Well, this is a very small painting. Yeah, it's a tiny, it's, you know, like this big on canvas board. But I would go out and study the effects of sunset, like a, you know, nerd. But to you know, mess around over here. 
and you know another one. But these are Hoboken, and I used to live in Hoboken, so I'm like, I am not over there anymore, thank God. Um, and then I started to imagine being up in that thing's ass. The, so, but this painting is called Good Evening Ham Ass. It's literal. Good evening, ham ass. And the New York Times published something that said, good evening, Hamas. Because <laughs> I guess they didn't believe there was such a thing as a ham ass. Now, if you've ever had sat on a certain kind of chair in the summer, there's a thing that happens which inspired me. But I also, I also enjoy, I really enjoyed painting that texture, which was catching the light. But also, when you, um, so also, I had, when I was going home in a taxi down, because I lived in the East Village, but I was working on the West Side, I had my arm out the window uh, of the taxi, and the West Side, the East Side of my arm was blue, and the, the West Side of my arm was orange. And so, basically, the whole inspiration of this painting was the light on my arm. So, I, one last thing. So, when people ask me about my palette and color, one thing I wanted to say is that I'm almost, I'm almost more inspired by light than I am by color. And light, there is no color without light. Well, so that, so you're a student of art history, right? And you're really, I think, an incredible painter. And um, I think sometimes people, are taken by the titles of the work or the imagery of the work, and then only later do they see really the skill that you have. Um, so something like this painting shows that the study of light from Caravaggio to Tintoretto to Raphael to any of these other long, um, you know, long known historical painters. Well, the problem with a lot of the, the, I mean, one of the great things about the internet is, and book, well, internet, internet more, is that people assume they've seen your work because they, it's out there so much. And that's great, because they see your work. And I, myself, published a very big, very extensive website with the hope that some very young, very sheltered, boy or girl who can't have access to art somewhere in a very repressed place will have the opportunity to see it without censorship. You know, not from me anyway. Um, but some people will think that they know what it looks like. But the truth is, really, paintings really look so different. And my paintings look really different in person. So I appreciate the opportunity to be able to show them to you in person, because um, they, you know, are very subtle and um, that's, I think that they're much more convincing in person. Um, anyway, but I liked, be, I liked showing this. So the other thing is I'm, a very, I'm very much a artist of process. So this is a little, little ditty here which took me a long time working on in the room. This funny little painting, this is also a tiny painting. So I made this little, this is a little imaginary study of the little motherfucker, like as a little, this is a painting, I was imagining like a David Lynch scene, you know, like in the, the scene in Eraserhead where he goes underneath the radiator and he imagines that like weird girl like making a little dance where she squashes a like rubber chicken. I've always loved that scene. So <laughs> I was imagining like you, you zoom in on this woman's butt and like there's, this is going on inside that butt. I just was imagining like her butt as this kind of landscape for something else happening. And then I imagined, this is a gigantic painting. This painting is about 108 or 110 inches. I could barely get it out of the, the building. <clears throat> I built the stretcher and then realized I couldn't get it out. Um, and this is called The Bad Laura 
which I'm not going to get into, but I got into a whole Laura Ashley thing. This we're not going to deal with. But this is about Laura Ashley. What year is this? 1997 or 1998. But it kind of had something to do with the Pentel stuff, but I had this whole idea about Laura Ashley. And that led to, oh, these are bad habits. So this is a bad habit painting. Um, so these are the bad habits imagined. Because I, as I said, I got really nervous about not being able to imagine things. But again, in terms of landscape, this is to me also a landscape painting. So this, this is a very large, large landscape painting. Um, this is a painting that's probably about 86 inches or 90 inches high. But for me, this is um, a progression through landscape um, space because it is an atmospheric perspective. It isn't realistic in terms of a room, but it is realistic in terms of the color <laughs> if it was a landscape moving through space. So um, then I decided to start taking the figures to a very, that's padded, that padded, imagining that padded butt. I started to actually want to take the figures into a real home. So I took them to this place and, and took them to this place called Northview and painted real models. That led to actually painting real models as an experiment as a way of not painting Bob, Bob's pictures. So I decided to paint figures in interiors with my own models. This is my best friend from my childhood, Kathy. There's a whole bunch of paintings of her. But again, this was a kind of a, a landscape situation. I was imagining the color wheel tilted on its side, moving through green, through orange, through violet, and out the window. It's, it's kind of often kind of imagining color that way. This is going to be in the show. This now just takes us to some of the paintings that Heidi has selected for the show. <clears throat> this is um, called Walking the Dog and the Park. Tongue Tondo. And, you know, I've made a whole bunch of paintings of couples recently. Um, I guess it was out of order. And um, I made a bunch of paintings of people getting pied, some sort of slapstick thing came in and um, this is, uh, is going to be in the show. Heidi has also chosen mm -hmm. some smaller paintings. Mm -hmm. uh, this is called Tragic Land. I think a lot of post-apocalyptic stuff, these are paintings from 2011, 10, 11, 12. Um, a lot of these paintings, I, I, I kind of got the idea that um, from Gustin, the idea that if you were to pull the camera back, Gustin, there was a quote from Gustin that said um, he had invented all these actors and the language of his paintings, like he created, you know, actors, and then he wanted to do a kind of a mise-en-scene. He wanted to pull the camera back and let them roam loose and get into trouble and see what they would get up to. And I thought it was kind of an interesting idea to sort of pan way, way, way back. And when I did, there were all these landscapes and people doing different things. And I would imagine um, this started to happen. And I was like, yeah, I can paint a fire. That's a study for the other painting. I sometimes make studies for paintings, and sometimes the large paintings are study for small paintings. Oh, and this is a funny story. This is a painting that I actually made on vacation as a Sunday painter. I, <laughs> I really just wanted to make a painting of the scene, and so I got all excited, and I made a little palette. I thought, can I, as a painter, be a Sunday painter? So I went and painted the scene, and I was on this little path, and people kept coming by saying, how much? I was like, I'm not, it's not for sale, <laughs> but I, I own it. And um, these are, and this is actually the first painting I painted where a guy got, I actually often with these small paintings, oh, and actually this is actually, so that painting that I painted, that scene as a Sunday painter, led to this painting. 
So like that little scene ended up here. And then when I'm back in my studio, this guy maybe ended up as a brush stroke. And then all of a sudden he ended up in this painting. I was like, hey, there's a guy in my painting. And then I thought, oh, he looks lost. And I thought, well, he would be. Um, he was like, how do I get out of here? Um, I was like, you're not, sorry. People kept saying, when are you going to paint a man? And then I would often say, well, when one gets lost in my paintings, and then there he is. This is a painting called Bonsai. Um, and it's a little hard to see. Uh, and we hope to get it for the show. Then you'll be able to see it better. But it's a little... Uh, a, a, a mom that's stuck in the snow, but it's, it's quite a lovely, if not tragic, painting. Uh, I guess I put that in twice, sorry. Um, I guess I like painting snow. <laughs> snow is, a, is, is, so when you paint landscapes, you often have to think about weather uh, and, you know, thinking about um, time of day, whether it comes up, you're, you know, they're night scenes. I think we have some night scenes in the show. So this is your first visit to Aspen, and you said as soon as you got here and you looked at the landscape, you're like, oh, it's exactly like the landscape in my paintings. This is what, well, the, what the, I was the imagining. Mm -hmm. Well, I was surprised because all of those watercolors had these hit, like kind of hills with uh, all these trees that looked just like this, and I thought, this is the sort of place where they're going to be shown together. So I thought it was kind of amazing that, that you know, that's the, you know, so you, maybe that's because why you were attracted, why you were attracted to showing them here. So you um, shared with me this morning that you had a conversation with a journalist yesterday, and she asked you kind of uh, maybe a I don't want to say a stock, but a, a first question that's often the kind of first question you get, which is, why you paint naked women? And you said that your answer surprised her. And I wanted to ask you maybe, that same maybe question. Maybe she's here. She probably is here. There so, she is. But I wanted to ask you that same question and give you the same opportunity to, to answer the question because uh, I think the answer is not expected. Well... I don't know, first of all, did it surprise you? Yeah. Well, you know, she didn't ask me why I painted naked ladies. She asked me what, about sec the sexual. And I said I didn't really think of it as sexual. Um, I think, I, or, you know, I didn't think about sexuality necessarily when I thought about the work. I thought about, um, I often thought, thought about, like, embarrassment or shame or, like, a kind of a mood and that you know, that it's kind of driven that more through that than it is, um, I think, you know, too much gets played out through that. I think there are some that are more sexy. And, you know, I, I make a joke about the ones that are more sexy kind of have, you know, they, 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 they te that tends to be the ones that get more, pe people tend to talk about those more in the media because I think that in terms of what goes through a fax machine, I know fax machines no longer exist, but what you can, what the idea is, you can broadcast something two-dimensionally and sexy and a woman did it is very quickly broadcast. You know, it's sensationalized. And yeah, I did that. You know, when I played with those penthouse things, when I hit the third rail there and I played that out, you know, I'm, a, I'm forever going to have to own up to that. So in a sense, I did it, but I did it so, you know, I played with that, but that's such a small piece of the whole. So, yeah, it was a piece of it, but it's not the whole. Small, it was a very small piece. But I even think they're not particularly sexy. I think they actually seem, it was funny because like that painting, oh, I'll go way back to the, it might even be easier to, Um, it's funny, like this one, I remember I have an aunt that's a nun, she died, of course, like, but I remember when I was having my show at the ICA in Philadelphia, she was very old at the time, and I said, Sister Catherine, what do you think of this painting? <laughs> and she said, 
And, you know, this is a woman that, you know, never, one would assume never had sex. And she says, well, she was Irish. She was like, I, she woke up one morning, she pulled up her shirt. She's like, oh my goodness, what happened? <laughs> she was very, <laughs> that was her response to it. And, and so again, with the idea of the Rorschachian, you know, like for her, I, I could, what was so dear about that response is you could imagine that a woman who, just because you're a nun doesn't mean you don't go through puberty and you don't ha get stuck having to go through your entire female life dealing with your body. So she did have that experience and woke up one morning and went, oh my goodness. So like <laughs> she saw in the painting that which she could relate to. And she says, she also said, I don't think, she says, you're so gifted. I don't think God would do something that would be so, would not be a good thing. And that was, she also loved me. So she would see something kind in me. So that was again her way of, she could only see good in me. Um, whereas somebody else would not see good in that. So I also feel like it's okay. I think I also had said at the time to my, you know, new friend that when you make work like mine and it's taken years, because I've been doing it for a long time, you have to learn to accept a range of presumptions about yourself, which I actually have learned to do. Right, Matvey? And then Matvey has to learn to accept a bunch of presumptions about him. <laughs> well, we all have to learn to accept presumptions about ourselves. There's, right? always, there's always a perception reality gap. Yeah, but you know, in, you know, when you're out, you know, but it's also, it's like, you know, it's not so bad, right? I it's mean, better than being ignored. That's the worst as an artist. I mean, I've had that happen along, you know, in the beginning. It's like, you know, when you're a very young artist and you're making work and it's like, you're like, hello, and like there's nothing coming back. That's painful. You could take any other pain than that. Like nobody cares. Nobody's talking to you. It's not about like selling your work. It's just no one's dialoguing with you. You know, you make work to dialogue. So, you know, that's the important thing. And I think the artists here could ag agree with that. You don't, you know, it's not about like anything else. You want it, even if it's just one other artist, you want to talk to artists, you know, and you know, there is, that's a hard part. So you, you recently posted a review of, of one of your early shows and, and um, obviously language and the way we talk about, you know, gender and, um, and most things actually have evolved over the last 25 years. Um, but the, I found the review to be so incredibly sexist and um, offensive. Do you think it was a man who wrote that? It was. Mm -mm. No? No, it wasn't. Who wrote that? It was a woman. It was actually an artist, too. Not a good artist. <laughs> See, I think good artists actually are not stupid enough to write things like that. Mm. I don't like calling people stupid, but I, I think it's, I think good artists are smarter and they're more open-minded. I think that's what makes them good artists. I mean, I think like you don't have to necessarily like what the other person does, but you're more open-minded. So, but basically, she called me the kind of woman that doesn't like other women, which is, like, weird. Right. Like, what do you know about, like, me? It's weird. Well, and she called you that based on your paintings. Mm-hmm. Not based on... I thought it was funny. Not at the time. It hurt my feelings at the time. But, you know, I got over it. Well, I didn't think it was funny then <laughs> or now. Um, because it's... it's uh, it's such a stereotypical approach, right, of, of everything that, um, that it implies. Um, it implied that as you're painting these beautiful women who are sensual, for sure, if not sexual, that somehow that would but, mean that you were only interested in the, the attention of men. But the men. paintings she was talking about were, here's the weird thing, the paintings she was talking about were these. How beautiful, you know, she was weirded out by these paintings. Like, this is not exactly, you know, stereotypical beauty. This is, 
something of another. These are, these, are these even real? These weren't real. These are paintings. That, the other thing is, is like, fiction is an important thing to allow. I mean, I've always been harping about that. You know, art is art, you know, and, and, and these are, I mean, even if these had been models, which they weren't, but I took liberties because also these are, you know, it, I, I, I learned a lot working with the maquettes, but, you know, it, it's important to realize, you know, when you're working in any, you know, with anything, it's just like, it. I don't really think confusing an artist with their art is a good place to be. I posted that mostly for younger artists, for people to realize, you know, that that's what goes, you know, that's what people say, and you can be okay with it. Well, I mean, it's an interesting uh, paradigm, right? Because if you're talking about people shouldn't confuse the artist for their art and that all art is actually um, a reflection of the viewer more than a projection of the artist, then, you know, that's a consistent perspective, but not necessarily one that's universally understood. Yeah. But it's, it's you know, a thing that, I've learned a lot from, and you know, I mean, I think it's really interesting. Um, it's 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 very very difficult to. It's the culture has a hard time looking at, for some reason, still bodies, and I'm not gonna you know I'm just gonna keep doing my work, and you know I'm not necessarily trying to, I'm not a politician, I'm an artist. And that's not my goal is to, I'm not trying to be a politician. And, you know, I, I want to, you know, focus on making paintings and not, I'm not trying to change the world. I'm trying to make paintings. And if I happen to change people's minds through making paintings, that's great. So tell us about the recent painting that you just made oh. that we get. Well, I was told a long time ago by somebody, oh, it was an Italian guy, I was like, I think it's a really nice idea to uh, give the gift of a new painting in a museum show. <laughs> and I thought, is it really is a nice idea that you show something that hasn't been seen before by anybody? And so I was working on a painting this summer, and as I was rounding the corner of finishing the painting, the uh, painting seemed like a kind of an interesting painting for this show and um, hopefully I don't screw it up or a forklift doesn't go through it between now and then, you know, anything can happen. Um, but yeah, I, all of a sudden I just freaked myself out when I, I said that. I just touched paper for you, don't worry. Thank you. Because <laughs> like I'm not in my studio right now and you know, people are going in and out of there doing things. So I just was thinking, what? Um, so. It's a painting of a woman in an interior. So it's a figure in an interior. But it's called landscape painting for the moment. And she is, uh, there is a landscape painting in the interior. And um, it's, a, it's, it's kind of a whole new way of looking at the idea of a landscape painting. So a whole, so you know, in a way, playing with the idea of landscape, this is a completely new take on it. So the show will end with a brand new painting, but the idea, would you say it was very meta? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so it's sort of, and, it, and the landscape painting in the painting is a kind of painting I was playing with, I was working on it, and it ended up, I'm going backwards, it ended up I, I was playing with a lot of different ways of resolving the the landscape in the painting, and it ended up being um, there's there's some of these Nels Yas. These figures I called Nels Yas, and it mean it means nothing to most people, but Matt Fay here, my husband, who donated a work for the uh, auction, crush. the Art Crush, which I guess we're going to see tonight. Um, and um, this figure here, 
who doesn't have a name, pointy toe. Uh, <laughs> but these nails, yes, um, we went to Russia on our honeymoon. I call it quote unquote honeymoon because it wasn't very relaxing. Um, I kept saying, when are we going to relax? Well, we went to the Soviet, former Soviet Union, where he's from, um, and it was very unrelaxing because it was the former Soviet Union, and <laughs> it was just after they, um, the, it collapsed because uh, he could go back, and we, it was my idea. Um, <laughs> it was not a good idea, but it was very helpful for him to see his old friends but every time I went into a museum, all these old ladies kept coming up to me every time I went near an artwork, and they kept saying to me, Nelzia. And I kept saying, what are they saying to me? And he would say, just don't. What did they say? Don't, whatever you're doing. It's just, you know, you said, you said to me, whatever you're going to do, don't do it. <laughs> you said, whatever you're... You said, I haven't done anything. And they said, whatever you're going to do, whatever you're thinking, they know you, just, they know your type, just don't do it. And so I was in my studio and I was working on this painting and these figures started to creep in. And I started to, Matt Faye came in and he said, oh, they look, they look, you know, so we started to talk about it. And he said, they also look like, like, all of those voices of feminists that have always said to you, don't, like, well, there's a bald vagina here. Um, so just don't do that. You know, that's a no. <laughs> don't put a bald vagina in the foreground of your painting. Uh, <laughs> it's not a good idea. Um, so this idea of the don't that has persisted has been kind of interesting. So like, it was a kind of an interesting idea. This, the don'ts were kind of fun to play with as characters. You know, what are they be the voices like in that review? Like, you're, a, you're the wrong kind of woman. You're the, you're the kind of woman that don't like other women. Like, whatever. Um, which actually, she's the kind of woman don't like other women, which is funny, because she didn't like me. <laughs> And I was thinking, this would be an interesting kind of character to play with, and I did have, so there's many paintings that we're gonna have in the show, both big and small, using these characters. And they ended up being kind of um, sprinkled throughout the work, but in this landscape painting, they return, and it's a lot of fun, because this girl who's in the interior, she's trying so hard to have a good time, and they're like, don't. Don't, don't. <laughs> So uh, usually we open it up for questions, but actually I'm, I'm not going to, um, only because we have a preview crush and I want people to be able to see Matt Vey's paintings and, and everyone else who's donated. But I really um, also acknowledge the fact that you'll be back here on the 11th of February to um, open your exhibition and you can talk more and take questions then. Um, but I want to end on that idea of the don't and the foreboding um, and just commend you as um, someone who has, I saw those exhibitions in the mid 90s and um, knew your work for you know 24 years probably before I ever met you. And uh, I just want to say I really admire the fact that you do um, you do you, and you have always done that, and um, and I think it's pretty incredible. So thank, thank you. you.